Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning, good morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The psalmist says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We are here and we're glad. Amen. We're going to read Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 29. I ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. I ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. I ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes wood, the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer, the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Hallelujah. The voice of the Lord over the waters. Just think about it. The voice of the Lord over the waters. The voice of the Lord tenders. It's releasing a frequency. Voice, frequency. Over the waters. Who is the waters? We are the waters. 85% of us is water. Or is it 80? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> We're not even sure, right? But the point is that the, the voice of the Lord is over you now. It breaks the cedar. The cedar is the hardest wood ever. The hardest wood ever. Hallelujah. 
anything hard before you. He says, I am releasing my frequency this morning over you, and I'm going to break it. Hallelujah. Let's enter into that and engage the voice. As the worship comes, it's the voice of the Lord. As the preacher comes, it's the voice of the Lord. It's not going to come tomorrow. It's now. And I want to step into it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so, God, we pray this morning that your voice will be heard in this place. It's not about anybody. It's you. John the Baptist said that, I am the voice in the wilderness. Hmm. This morning we pray, we will hear your voice in the worship, in the praise, in the prayer, in the sermon. And we will step into it. And that frequency of God will change us and bring us into our divine destiny and purpose. Oh, may your name be glorified in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We believe in your heart for us this morning, God. Let's just say that we believe in your heart for us, even if we really don't feel like we do. You're a good father. You're a good God. And you're here with us, God. Just let your presence ring out. Let these songs just continue to ring out for you, Father. As we continue in this gathering place and just hear from your word and even through announcements and through meet and greet God, I just pray that your presence would flow. Power. Flow in power, God. Over us. Just set a precedence for our week. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to be with you in your presence, Jesus. All because of what you've done. It's all forgiven. It's all made new. You make beauty from our ashes all because you love us. Not because of anything we've done. And we thank you, God, that we can rest in that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start today by just reminding you guys that we're in the book of Mark. And we've been in the book of Mark. And we're staying in the book of Mark until we finish it. There's 16 chapters, a couple different endings, uh, according to some people and people who uh, canonized it. But we're going with Mark and... Last time I spoke, I spoke on how Peter had adamantly told Jesus that he would not abandon him. He would not forsake him. He would not leave him. He was certain of it. He ended up doing it within seven hours. And, um, and then by the end, we read a passage where Jesus' response to him was to find him while he was fishing and make him breakfast. That was his re-entry to Jesus that he had failed miserably, confirmed failed, Jesus responds by cooking him breakfast, right? When he's fishing, you all know that story. And now we're really close to the end, and it's getting really thick in the gospel. It's intense. So these passages from here on out, the last two and a half chapters, are very intense. They're not pretty. They end pretty and beautiful and crazy, but we go into some situations that are not comfortable. And it's a part of the gospel that as American Christians, we're not super comfortable talking about or even connecting with, right? We love resurrection. We don't love death. And that's not even a jab at us. That's just no one likes to die, right? I talked a couple weeks ago about trying to drown someone. That's not going to be an easy thing because they're going to fight it. Just like any part of us that has to die, it's going to fight in that way. And in this passage particularly, Jesus is walking through what the will of God is for his life. And he comes to terms with the fact 
that part of the will of God for his life is not only being Savior, but dying. And there's really no pretty way to put it. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't. And you can fight me on that, but according to Mark, we see that, right? The agony he's in. The will of God sometimes can put you on your knees in agony. And that's not where it ends, but that's a part we have to be comfortable with, or we will not know how to be Jesus to this world. The world does not only need to see resurrection. Of course, that's beautiful. The world needs to know how to die correctly. And we're the people here to show them that, right? The message of the gospel is not just the blessing portion. Our world's already pretty good at that. We celebrate, right? We celebrate through one of our American Idol. We celebrate, we celebrate people who get what they want, right? That's a big thing. If you get in promotion, we have a party. We don't do well on the other end of that part. How do we die faithfully like Jesus? It's not the end, but there is no resurrection without death. It's impossible. I'm not going to be resurrected if I'm not dead. You're not going to be resurrected. So there will always be parts and portions of your life that Jesus is putting his finger on that need to die. And you will want to avoid it every time. Every single time. I know for me, the pain that I've been going through in the past two months, two and a half months because of my back, I found some patches that really help, but I wouldn't choose them. I hate pain. I mean, I, I hate pain. I was talking to my family, and my mom even said when I was a kid, whenever there was a possibility of pain, I would freak out. Just, I'm a hypochondriac. Like, every little thing is something massive that's going to destroy me. And that's because I hate pain. I don't like pain. Many of you are in the room, you have pain, and we avoid it. But there are doors in our lives that we have to walk through that you wouldn't choose. That's why I think a lot of times, like the Gethsemane that Jesus goes to here, he goes to because things are out of his control. A lot of times when you have to go into your Gethsemane, it's because you can't do anything else or you already would have done it. Or this is the way I would have historically handled a place that God would use, a crushing place. I would medicate. I would escape while being there through some type of means. For me, it was always addiction. It was always something that could take me to a different place because I would rather not face those hard times. We don't do well with facing the hard times. Jesus shows us here how to face some hard times. There was a book I read when I was a teenager. I won't tell you the author because controversial theologically. I won't be that edgy today. But it talked about him climbing up a mountain, and there were these doors. And he would see beautiful doors, and he would go through those doors, and there would be good things in them. And there was this one door on the mountain that he would always see, and he despised even the look of the door. And as he got older and he climbed higher in the Lord, he decided one day he would go through that door, and the most beautiful things were just beyond it. The most disgusting, ugly door on the mountain led to the most beautiful things. And it's like that with the Gethsemanes in our lives. We would choose only the happiness, right? For the, even for just the will of God in your life, praying through that. Typically, you're going to fall in a lane that does not require much sacrifice from you, even in praying for the will of God in our lives. That's just our nature. So we have to be reoriented by the love of God and what he does in this passage. And so I want to read to you Mark 14, 32 through 42, which really taps into either the prosperity gospel or the consumeristic gospel, which is very, it's very well played right now in America to show up at a church and then provide everything for you. From the time you get into the parking lot, there's even called something like, you're going to be like our special guest. It's great, like, but it's really just like a hotel trying to pamper you. 
We, we create environments that help people not have to face realities. Instead of putting ourselves in true situations, this space, I don't, I don't want to go on a tangent, but, but this space is a church. This is the sacred space of the temple that we have removed communion, foot washing, baptism, anything uncomfortable spiritually because we don't want to offend you. When in fact, those things are the things that reform us into the children of God and help us to be faithful in the world. So in this place, we have to wake up to those things. And sometimes it's not just celebrating through song the good things, but walking through the seasons that nobody wants to face. Nobody. And knowing how to do it correctly. If we can do that, that ugly door will turn into something that you never would have imagined. For Jesus, it's death into resurrection. It's unbelievable. But you don't get there without dying. So Mark 14, 32 through 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Another way you could say that is Daddy. That's one of the translations. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. I just want to, I just want to note this. Between 36 and 37, he prays a prayer to his father where typically someone would give space to hear. Typically someone would say, I'm praying this prayer. This is a question. I would love to hear if you're, that's not being done here. This is important for in a minute. He doesn't pray this prayer and then give space to hear. And I'll explain that in a minute. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, the old Peter, right? The Peter before are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he knows what he's talking about because he has just prayed a prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. If this, he's, so he's talking from where he's at. And again, he went and way and prayed, saying the same words. <laughs> Another footnote. I'm so sorry, guys. So historically for me, I've been involved in spirit-filled churches or charismatic churches or Pentecostal environments. Just that word to many of you are like, oh, just that word. And there are many beautiful things that these movements have brought to the kingdom of God. You need to be sure of that. The, the word Pentecostalism actually has been hijacked. Its true form is one of the most beautiful things. It looks like the most unified group of people that are loving the world selflessly you've ever seen. But also in that are... Sometimes this idea, and this is the part of Pentecostalism I do not value, is the part where I don't have to submit to anyone, ever. That is not the will of Jesus. And so a theology, a Pentecostalism, or a spirit-filledism that says that you have to never submit to any human, that's not the will of God. And I'm not saying that out of power, but that's the scriptures. That's just the word of God. But I do love that Jesus went and prayed the same prayer, which is liturgical in form, which this guy right here... So this is where we have, it, have been at odds, and many people in this room in, in our relationship, because to me, the liturgical always kind of represented maybe something that was dead. That was, that was my view of it. Like, this is dead religion, right? So me and Sarah went to a conference two years ago 
with spirit-filled people who had started dabbling in the liturgical. And I'm a little bit like, this is, this is just weird. Like that, that whole thing is like, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like getting into some worship. And it was really neat because we were saying the same prayers. And that's just neat. Praying together out loud is what we're offering. And, but I'm not, I'm not super moved. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I'd rather, you know, I'd rather put on my Corey Asbury, who if you don't know who that is, you probably should. And just listen. And that's what I do every morning. I put it on. I, I draw, journal, pray, and I have, like, this free space I love. I look over at Sarah in this liturgical spirit-filled setting, and she's weeping, just uncontrollably weeping the same way that I would in an environment that was free. And I knew at that moment, like, I have read this whole thing wrong. I have judged people that I don't need to be judging. And it's not this or that, and this is exactly right, and this is exactly right. It's the Spirit is moving in so many beautiful ways. The Spirit here, Jesus, maybe he's in such agony that he has to pray the same prayer because the creativity is zapped. Maybe he's on his knees weeping and he has to say the same prayer. This is our Jesus, the one who is free, right? The one who is spirit-filled, praying the same prayer. That's liturgy, Jesus, before he's dying. So if you're like me and you've cast many stones towards the liturgy and the structured Maybe give space. And if you're like other people in this room who have looked at a movement that would be called spirit-filled and casted stones, maybe step back and not do that as well. Maybe yes and yes, right? Maybe yes and yes. And that, that's beautiful to me, right? Like, anyway, that had nothing to do with anything, so enjoy that. <laughs> and again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And this is the spot where they're like, we've already, we just failed three times. There's literally nothing we can do except for just be like, I'm just going to go back to sleep. So, and then the next passage, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it enough? The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. And this is where Judas brings in a group of people. And Peter, right? Peter, who in the last week had never, would never fail Jesus, has zero clue about the ministry of Jesus and the selfless part of it. We know, what does Peter do in this setting? cuts a dude's ear off like this Jesus ministry like and Jesus response to that isn't yes we fight for our gospel right it's not this like nationalistic patriot it's not that he what does he do what does Jesus do <laughs> he puts a dude's ear back on j-bombed like crazy Peter's like oh I got gotcha. you you're I'm okay I'm gonna back off evidently I don't understand I'm cutting people's ears off and you're putting them back on <laughs> what the heck so Peter is just all over the place. He's just miserably, miserably wrong in every scenario. And he ends up being the rock of the church. So we know nothing. Amen? All right. Just, some, just for kicks and giggles, Gethsemane means olive press. And this particular place is a garden. And it's most likely true that Jesus had a wealthy friend that he would allow him to come to this garden because they can only be in certain places because they didn't want manure inside the city limits because of ritualistic law. And so he had a friend. That sounds like ministry right there. Like if you've ever been in ministry, everybody that's been in ministry has a friend that has a place you can go. <laughs> right? So Jesus is so like us. I literally have that place that I go. Um, not to die, typically, but I go there. So, but we also know that this is a common place for him that he visits. John 
18.2, can you pull this up for us? Um, it says, now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. This is important. And for Jesus, he often met there with his disciples. So he had his place, he got away. But he couldn't stay at the dinner because Judas would get him there quickly. He knew that this was about to happen. So he went across the valley, found his way to a garden. He walks into the garden, nine of his disciples. He says, kind of stay at the gate, hang here. Three of the other ones, all this, always the same three. Come with me, come a little deeper. And as they get deeper, he just hits the floor in agony, right? Like the kind of agony I've never experienced where I can't keep walking, where you just, like you've seen that, right? Like we've seen movies about that. I haven't seen that in people. And he goes on a little further in agony. But this is one of his favorite places, right? And he, he's in agony because in a few hours he understands what's going to happen. It's going to be the toughest part of his life coming up where he is going to be. You've all seen The Passion of the Christ, right? I would encourage you if you're getting married to not on your honeymoon night take your bride-to-be to see Passion of the Christ in a theater. Because I did that. It was not the smartest thing I ever did. I was like, this felt really spiritual and cool. But then I got there and I was like, this is super heavy. <laughs> but spiritually, I won the award for, I took her, I did it at a cross where, I'm engagement. Yeah, honeymoon, not, a, no. <laughs> we had no Passion of the Christ playing at the honeymoon, if, if you hear what I'm saying. Everyone, Bueller. So he knows. <laughs> and I love how this, see, this is where I think the heart of this message is. I read this first, and most people read this first, that Jesus is wrestling with something he doesn't want to do. And that's not what's happening. This is why I mentioned that he didn't listen for the Father after. Because sometimes you pray a prayer that you already know the will of God but you're just saying it because your flesh needs to say it. But you already know the will of God. He didn't give space to hear the Father, correct? He said, let this cup pass from me. He knew from the beginning his role would be to die. So he didn't give space. This was about cleansing the flesh that was in him and sanctifying it to become more like the will of God because the will of God for him would be to die. That's crazy. So our Jesus wasn't wrestling with Maybe, maybe you don't want me to do this. Jesus' flesh was in such agony, it had to say out, let this pass me. You have that image? You can go ahead and put that up now. Let this cup pass me. But it wasn't meant to be passed from him. This is crazy for me. With deep groans, he said, your will be done. Jesus didn't want, his flesh did not want to die. Theologically, that messes with us. He didn't even understand it fully. He just knew this was the route that was going to be taken to sanctify his humanity because Jesus is fully human and fully God, right? There's no one in this room that understands that. There's no possible way to understand that. We read this as his, as, and the commentary say this, his humanity is abound in this passage. You see him falling to the ground, but he's still 100% God. He's still, in this case, 100% knew what was going to happen. For Jesus, it was always about dying. This will be the core of everything, right? This is why we come together. Jesus died for us, and it'll happen in a few short hours. He uses the word Abba. Can you bring up what the word Abba means? Not that Abba. I give you a little, I give you a little bit of freedom. Stupid. I give you a little bit of freedom with Sarah McLaughlin, and you bring Abba in. Now we got to replace you. 
Literally, Abba. You so were waiting for that moment all morning. Abba. So if it was if it was any spiritual stuff happening, it's now gone. This is Gethsemane. That's the devil. So amen. Abba. Non-dancing queen, father, also used as the term of tender endearment by a beloved child and an affectionate, dependent relationship with their father. I speak from experience when I say, when I woke up the morning that I literally, Sarah was on her way to work out, I could not move, literally, I could not move. It was like someone was sticking a sword in my back. For six hours, I stayed in the same place and read a a picture over our doorway that I think Alita gave us that said, and he stood with me and gave me rest. And I'm literally like, I'm, you're not, I'm not standing anywhere right now. I'm laying in my bed. And I was like, Alita, um, for six hours. And I knew something was going to be different, even just from that. And for the next two months, literally for the first month, I couldn't, I can't, I still can't do most of the things. I have to wear these patches. And I know that in this season that I've been in right now, um, things are happening that I never would have had happen otherwise, for sure. There's, there's, there's things that are being spoken to me. There's things I'm having to face that I would never choose. But I'm being put in a situation where I have to faith, be faithful in it instead of escaping from it. And just for you to know, with my history and tendencies towards addiction, it's not an easy path because I could have whatever I want just like that because I have issues, right? That would be that simple for me. And I could probably make, it's all right, I probably need heroin and cocaine and all that for this, right? Like I can, not really that, but other things that are just as bad as that for me. But I have to be faithful to where God's walking me into this, this Gethsemane, right? Like these Gethsemanes that he leads us into, you will all have to go into them. There is no Christianity without it. There's no version of the gospel being lived through your life where you don't have to die. There's no version of it. If it is that for you, that's not the, that's not the gospel. That's something else but you don't have to fear it. And you can walk into it saying, Abba, Father, affectionately, because he will be with you in it. For those of you in this room who are sick right now, he will be with you in it. For those of you who are being fired or friends are talking about you, he will be with you in it. He is in it. And even more than that, what will come from this if you walk faithfully into it, not trying to flee, but saying, yes, your will be done, and not mine, something more beautiful than you will ever have otherwise will come. Be faithful like Peter, doing the hard thing for Jesus. Don't be faithful like Judas, doing the harder thing without Jesus. Peter didn't want any of this stuff, stays faithful. Judas creates his own plan. And this is probably the most depressing story in the Bible, that this happens to Judas. He's one of the selected 12 who ends up committing suicide because of it. It's just, so I think for us, as we are faithful to the gospel and faithful to what's happening, Jesus will lead us in. And many of you are in it right now. Many of the people who are a stone's throw away from you are in a season of agony in Gethsemane right now. And many of us are asleep. You can pull that picture back up, not Abba, the other one. Abba doesn't fit for this part. Many of us, have a friend like Jesus right now who is in the most pain of their life. 
and we are doing what they're doing. And Jesus still loves us. These guys will take the gospel to the world. These guys don't have the Holy Spirit yet. These guys haven't been given the charge of the Great Commission. But we have. We have the Holy Spirit. We've been given the charge in the Great Commission. The people around us who are in agony, can we be available? Peter, this is see, he gets picked on in this passage, right? There's, there's 12 dudes here. He calls him Simon, the old name. Why does he get picked on? Well, because a passage ago, he's bragging about what he would do for Jesus. When you have pride outwardly, even if it's, you're not even knowing what's happened, when you fall, because you will, it's seen much clearer by everyone around you, right? That's why, like, for me, when I see an athlete over-celebrate, like, I kind of love when they don't catch a pass or something. Because I don't want to see them bragging about what they're doing. Peter's just bragging. And now in this passage where Jesus is about to die, he's the one that's being picked on out of everyone. He's three or four feet away from the biggest spiritual battle in history. And he's asleep for the one he loves dearly. Right? Peter failed. Did he learn, though? In his Gethsemane, did Peter learn? Can you pull up 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11? Same Peter. He basically takes every bit of what he's just struggled with and messed up, and he now is the rock to the church, and he now says this. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. That would have not been in his language previously. The sufferings of Christ? How would my Christ suffer? I'll cut somebody's ear off for him now as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and well as well a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. All of his, this is his life. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. Who will be the first at the table? Who will sit closest to you? Remember these conversations. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Remain, 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 remain. You can go to the next one. Likewise, you, are, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is not the same Peter. This is not the same guy. For God opposes the proud He learned this in this passage. He opposes the proud and even calls them by their old name. Sit down, Simon. But gives grace to the humble or the humid, if you were here yesterday. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that you at the proper time may may, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And here's where it gets to the... This is, the, this is the previous fight he was three or four feet from that he was not present in. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you his eternal glory in Christ, with himself, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him, the the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. So his Gethsemane, he learned, right? What are we doing in ours? Are you present enough to say, not my will, but your will be done? Right? There is no resurrection without death. So we're going to pray for a little bit. We're going to get done a little bit early today. But we we all have to be led into our Gethsemane.
We don't want it to be without Christ. And we want him to label the things in us that are not his will. And many of you already know, God, just, just for a moment, many of us are living our lives in our will. And we don't even need to pray and ask, is this the will of the Father? You already know. You already know. But he does want his will for you. He does want his will for you. And so, Father, today, on this Sunday, on this day where we read about the Gethsemanes that you had to enter for us and learn that your whole message would not be about riding around on a horse conquering people, but submitting unto death for us where you teach us that we must do the same if we carry your gospel. Not our will, but your will be done. So for you today, if you happen to be in a Gethsemane, he is showing us what to do. If you happen to be in a Gethsemane, Jesus went to the garden with people and with God. When you are in a hard spot, you crave the company of others, but your spirit will want to be alone. I'm challenging anyone in a hard spot. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. I don't care if it's odd for six months. I don't care if you try to life group out and no one talked to you the first week. You can always find something. I promise. I've done it. You can always find something at a church, too. You're going to find it here. Like I hope you, if you've already found it, maybe you're wrestling through it. If you haven't, you will. Because we're not perfect. But if you're in a season of Gethsemane, you need the body of Christ around you, or you will revert to your old ways. You will be your Simon. You will jump into things that will not help you and lead you straight directly away from God. You don't want that. And you need prayer. And I don't even know how to explain this to you in this moment, other than just when you're in anguish, just be honest with him. And in your season of Gethsemane, the things in you are revealed, like the doubt that God even exists. Because if you're in a bad spot and you've just been living like the Christian fun stuff for a while, it doesn't work in that spot. It's real stuff. It's real. You need people, you need God, you need prayer. You need to slow down. I have a friend who says in his Gethsemane, I talked to him yesterday for a while. He was a part of a very, like, the church they were at, the guy who was pastor of it is still really, really doing a lot of like national work and a lot of stuff happened and my friend had to become like the interim pastor and the whole church turned against him. And he called it his season of Gethsemane and he said that in that season, the marking of that season for him was holy science, or <laughs> holy silence. <laughs> it's Phil's fault, you're the devil. I blame that one on you too, sorry. Um, he said that he couldn't even express himself correctly. Like, even like the tactics that pastors know how to, like, he couldn't even do it. It was such a painful, agonizing season. The church was being ripped apart. People were leaving, casting stones. The pastor had done some crazy stuff. He said it was like his soul was being torn out. And he, all he could do was sit in the presence of God and do nothing. He couldn't talk. He couldn't worship. He couldn't pray. It was just a season marked by holy silence. Holy science. <laughs> There's no Tom Cruise in that season. I'm just throwing that out to you. It's very different. So what, I know for me, my, my, this is definitely a Gethsemane season for me. And I'm coming out of it. 
And I'm a little bit upset at God at times because as soon as we got that space, I felt like I heard him say, you're about to go into a desert. And I was like, I can do that. And I couldn't do it. I'm still struggling through it. But my season has been marked by, it's really strange. Like, you all have have heard my story about wanting to impress people as a pastor and as a church. That's just American church. A lot of that has been cleansed. I could care less. If things fall apart correctly, they fall apart. That's okay. Being faithful to Jesus in this and doing what I'm supposed to do here, I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to carry extra weight with it anymore. It's also a season where I don't know that the previous prayers I prayed work. So a lot of times I just listen to music and sit there and literally, just honestly, just weep, which is not something I do. So my season of Gethsemane has been alone weeping where when my kids walk in, I act like I'm sneezing or coughing or something because I don't like my people to see me crying. They've caught me crying a couple times. I don't know what your season will be marked by, but if you're faithful to it, it should look different. It should be a little heavier, and it should call things out of you that will be so formative that you know that the season to come will have to be so much richer, right? Will have to be so much richer. And I believe that in Gethsemane, it's preparation to die for the rebirth. It's not just about dying. So don't hear me say that. It's about being resurrected and dying first. The dying has to happen. Your Gethsemane could be your calling. It could be your, a relationship. It could be your job. It could be the way just you simply live and have your being. But be faithful to it. So Jesus, today, I'm going to pray, and then we can close. Please, God, let us be willing to do your will. Let it not be hijacked by nationalism or voices in high places that do not represent you, even if they say they do. Let us be wise. Let us understand as Christians, if it doesn't make sense to to stop, you have been called to love this world and give of yourself, not to dominate this world. We find ourselves in a very interesting time, Father, where it's easy to bite the bait that we are better than everyone, protect everything at all costs, cut off as many ears as possible, instead of seeing you at the feet of the enemy willingly giving yourself over and healing those that hurt you. That's the gospel. It's not the other. Help us to repent for being Peter with this, thinking that we are the ones that are more important than the other ones. We're all your children. So just keep your eyes closed for a moment. First prayer is just God's will for your life and your Gethsemane. Help us to be faithful. The second prayer is, is there someone around you that you need to be awake and alert for going through a Gethsemane? We don't even know what to do in uncomfortable situations like that, but all we have to do is be present. So help us to see those clearly. If you guys will stand to your feet. Last week we talked about dry bones being prophesied too. I'm just going to speak boldly to you right now. God, I prophesy the truth that when your gospel takes root in our hearts, we are led into a season where we die so that we can be raised again and live abundant life for you. So the end goal of this is such harmony with you, such peace, freedom, and joy with you, such lightness on our feet, such selflessness that we would submit even unto death. The end goal is complete, 100% joy 
in the Lord. I prophesy over each person in this room that dry bones would come to life, that where it's dead, there would be resurrection. I prophesy to the future of this church, that we would be a church that lets people mourn, that lets people walk through Gethsemane, that are faithful and awake with them, not making them feel bad for their bad spots, but giving them space. We ask that you, God, would be the resurrection and the life. And that today you would heighten our senses, that we could stay awake and be alert. That we would share in the sufferings of Christ as your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray that for our body that we would go faithfully from this place, encouraged in your presence and your spirit to be the light in this city. In our families first, in our jobs and workplaces, in our schools and, and everything. We thank you for every good gift. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.